As I had mentioned previously in another podcast, my journey started after I gave my cousin a kidney. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years. And she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. If you noticed, you'll see there's a gap from when we posted our last episode. Let's thank COVID for that. Honestly, I was home and my recording equipment was at the office and it was a pain in the butt to reset everything up, so I didn't. But now I'm back, so let's move forward. Today is going to be a little bit different as I'm not necessarily going to educate you on the process, but I did feel like I wanted to share my story from start to finish so that you can kind of understand, I guess, sometimes where I come from with the information that I do share. As I had mentioned previously in another podcast, my journey started after I gave my cousin a kidney. In 1998, I did give my cousin uh, a kidney. And after I gave him the kidney, I ended up visiting him in California, where he was living at the time. And I saw an ad for egg donation. Wasn't obviously something that I could do at that time, but it was something that I kept in the back of my mind and felt like, oh, okay, maybe one day. And about a year and change um, after I saw that ad, I called that agency and asked them if I could be a donor. What they told me at the time was that, yes, I would be a very good donor. I already had three children of my own. Clearly, I had proven fertility. However, Black women didn't have infertility issues, and it was going to be um, very difficult to match me. So I told them, fine, keep my information, and should someone ever contact them, I'm available. Well, about nine or ten months later, I get a phone call that there was a family in Michigan that was looking for an egg donor, and would I be interested? And I said yes. Now, this particular agency that doesn't even exist anymore pretty much did the match, sent me to a local monitoring clinic to be monitored. The fertility clinic sent me all of the medication that I needed. And I remember the first day that I had to give myself the shot and I sat there in my kitchen. I had put my kids to bed and I was sitting there in the kitchen and I was trying to psych myself up to take this shot, this injection that I had to give to myself. And I think it took me about 30, 40 minutes to finally psych myself up to take this shot. And then when I finally took it, it was like, oh, okay, that was no big deal. But initially it was just like, oh my God, am I really going to be able to do this? And why am I doing this? But I was able to get it done. After I did the shots and I was going to the local monitoring clinic, finding out everything was good to go, it was Labor Day weekend and the agency sent me a ticket to fly to Michigan. I flew in the day before retrieval and a nurse picked me up at the airport. Then she took me to the hotel, told me she'd pick me up again the next morning at 7.30 a.m., She came, picked me up, took me to the clinic. They retrieved 27 eggs. Um, I was, I got to rest for about 45 minutes or an hour or so. 
and then got up. They told me to use the restroom. Everything was good to go. And she dropped me back off at the hotel door, handed me a check for $3,000 and said, take a taxi back home or back to the airport and go home. And that was it. I never heard back from anybody. Nobody ever contacted me to check on me to see how things were going, whatever. Now, I just assumed that's that's how it always was and decided like, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. So once I pretty much got it out of my system, that was it. I just, I really just assumed that I was never going to do it again. I tried to actually call the fertility clinic to find out if it was successful. And they told me that they couldn't tell me if it was successful or not. But what they did tell me was that the intended parents were very pleased. So I guess I assumed, okay, well, if they're pleased, then obviously it was successful. But she couldn't tell me one way or the other what the real outcome was. And to this day, actually, I still don't know. I'm assuming that it was successful. I'm assuming that they got pregnant in my mind, and I don't know why, but in my mind, I have pictured that they're pregnant with twins and that, you know, there's these children out there that I helped create and I helped bring a joy to this family. But that's really, again, in my imagination. So I figured that that was going to be sufficient. Well, a couple of years later, I came across a website that was advertising for surrogates and egg donors and figured like, well, you know what? Why not? Let's, let's try it again. And so I did. I submitted my information onto this uh, classified website. And within a couple of hours, I had so many emails from these women who were saying that they were looking for black donors and how difficult it was to find black donors. And some of them had been looking for years and couldn't find any donors. And so I actually then got to choose who I was going to help. And it really became actually a daunting experience because it's like, well, how do you make the choice of, you know, all these people and who do you, who do you choose? Who do you help? So I actually just narrowed it down to the ones that I felt just a bit more of a connection to. The second couple that I ended up working with was a couple that was in the Northeast and they wanted to have a semi-anonymous relationship where they had all my contact information and they know who I was, but I only had a first name and I obviously knew their state of location. I didn't really even know the city. And I worked obviously with their fertility clinic to handle a lot of stuff, but that was really about it. So we ended up working together um, and we did a journey uh, and I recall, I believe they had 30, I want to say it was 32 eggs that was retrieved. I know that the intended mom ended up transferring uh, embryos and she did get pregnant, but ended up in a miscarriage. She actually did it twice and ended up in a miscarriage. And then they were going to do a third round and then she actually ended up getting pregnant on her own and, um, and then having to, and had a successful pregnancy after that. So that was great. It was wonderful. Totally different experience from the first time. I mean, we just, we just worked together, even though it was semi-anonymous, there was no agency involved. There was really nobody involved. 
again, she had my information. So she was able to book my travel and my hotel and everything and just put everything in my name and was able to get, I believe it was a cashier's check or something like that and dropped it off at the hotel so that I was able to get the compensation. And I felt just so comfortable with this particular family, even though I didn't really know who they were. And again, it was a completely different experience from my first journey. Well, after I finished that journey, again, remember, I had all of these emails from all of these people. And so randomly, I would just get emails again saying, hey, I know you selected another family, but we're still looking. Would you be willing to help us? And that's what happened with my third couple. I decided that, okay, I will help this couple. And, um, and we ended up actually being a known donation. Um, I got to know them. They got to know me. And when I went for the retrieval with them, they actually allowed me to stay in their home and everything was great. And then when I got to the, when it's time to, get checked and everything else. I had already started taking medication while I was at home and then went to their location for when it was time for the retrieval. And they checked my levels and they were like, oh no, we have to cancel the cycle. Your levels are way too high and you're hyperstimulating. So they actually canceled the cycle. I didn't even do a retrieval. And that was definitely devastating um, for the intended parents, it was devastating for me because you just put your all into it. Obviously, they put their all into it. Let's not even talk about the financial piece of it, only for it to like be so close and nope, you got to cancel the whole thing. So it was definitely devastating. And just was like, okay, well, I guess it's not going to work. But funny enough, though, the intended family that um, I had originally did it for and myself now, it's even to this day, we are actually still in touch with one another. Um, and we still actually have a, um, you know, a nice relationship where we still every once in a while will touch base and we're friends on social media and we still, you know, definitely stay on top of what's happening with each other's family. They luckily went on and ended up having children from another cycle with another donor. And it was just been amazing to see their family finally becoming complete and the progression of their life and where they are now is just amazing. And then my fourth couple Again, same thing. I randomly get an email saying, and I think at this point it might have been like a year or two years later. I randomly get an email saying, Hey, wanted to see if you were still willing to donate. And I did. And I told them yes. So I ended up going through this cycle and going to another clinic. And that clinic was a bit sketchy, I have to say. I'm not going to say the location and I'm not going to say the name of the clinic, but it was definitely a very sketchy clinic. And I ended up hyperstimulating with this clinic as well. But instead of canceling my cycle, they actually just allowed it, allowed me to coast where I wasn't really taking any medication. They kind of just stopped me from taking medication, but they didn't 
do anything. They just monitored me to make sure my levels came down. And then eventually they gave me my trigger shot and released the eggs and they were able to retrieve eggs. And the family ended up getting enough where they were able to actually utilize a gestational carrier and they had a child. So I'm very happy that I was able to do it, but I, again, did hyperstimulate. I actually remember after the retrieval, I actually stayed with this family as well. And after the retrieval, I ended up getting sick. We got into the car and, you know, I don't know if it was the motion because of the anesthesia, whatever it was, but I think it was just a combination of that and the hyperstimulation. I was very um, bloated. And I ended up like literally like on the side of the road, actually like being sick. Let's put it that way. Um, use your imagination. But I ended up getting sick on the side of the road and then had to really just go back and rest for a while because of uh, I definitely did not feel well for a couple of days after the fact. But got over it. Everything was great. They had their child and then. They came back and asked if I would be willing to do a sibling journey for them. And I did. I did a sibling journey for them. And, and then unfortunately, that's when the, the crash really of the stock market and, and everything just kind of came crashing down. And so everything was put on hold for them. And then the last family that I carried for was another family who had reached out to me again, was asking, um, when they first reached out to me, had asked if I was willing to, but I had told them that I had already, you know, was matched with another family. And so she wanted to come back around and see if anything changed. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. I did obviously let them know of all of the different scenarios that has happened. And the doctor was like, they'll take it more uh, easy this time around, as far as like giving me the medications and all of that. And again, another family that I actually stayed with, um, this was also a known donation. Known donation in that we got to know each other and we got to meet each other. And I, again, stayed in their home as I was doing my retrieval. And they were amazing. And we ended up having a successful um, retrieval. They ended up having a successful pregnancy. And again, I'm still in contact and, and definitely know that everybody is doing well. Is And it, it really truly is amazing to be able to know that you, that I have been able to touch so many lives. And I definitely attribute that to, really attribute that to my cousin. His name was Francisco. And at the time when I decided that I wanted to be a kidney donor for him, Everybody, like my family, friends, everybody was just like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? I mean, you know, this was 21, 22 years ago. And being a live kidney donor is definitely not like it, it is now. And, but something just told me that I needed to do it. Um, and my uh, cousin, funny enough, my entire family was actually trying to see if we were going to be a match. And the first time that I actually tried to see if I was a match, I wasn't. And then he ended up actually having surgery, open heart surgery. 
And he had a blood transfusion and all kinds of other stuff. And then a couple of years later, um, I was at work one day and something, and I keep saying something. Now I know what that something is. And for me, it is definitely a spiritual thing. And for me, it's definitely just, it was, it was God for me. But at the time, I really didn't realize that and, and I didn't understand that. So, but I was at work one day and something just like, you know what? Call him and have him give you the number to the facility that he was working with, waiting to be matched to find a donor and see if you're a match. And I called him and I said, you know, I want to get the number. I want to call to get the kit so I can see if I can be a match. And he's like, oh, you're wasting your time. And I'm like, uh, yeah, maybe. But I just, I feel something different and I just want to be able to see. So I called the facility. They sent the kit. I went, got blood work done. They submitted the kit back and it was like three weeks to get the results. And so again, I was at work and I called my cousin. I was like, okay, it's been, you know, three weeks. I'm going to call to find out the results. And he was like, okay, well, you know, you're wasting your time. Yep, fine. But I'm still going to call. So I called and the, I gave the lady my num, my name and she told me to hold on. And then she came back on the call and she was like, yep, you're a match. And I don't know if you've ever known someone that has needed like their life literally dependent on somebody else to, to live. Um, and you know that you are that person. I don't know. If you have ever experienced it, but it is a, it's truly an awesome feeling. Not an awesome, like, oh, it's the greatest, although it was, but it's an awesome feeling of every emotion that you can think of comes flooding in all at the same time. So I called my cousin and I told him. His name was Francisco, as I mentioned, but I call him Franny. And I was like, Franny. And that's all I kept saying was just Franny. And he was like, I know, I know, it's not a match. And I just kept saying Franny because I could not get it out. And he just sat there quiet. And he was like, what are you trying to say? And I said, oh my God, we're a match. Now, my cousin had been dealing with not having a kidney or having kidney failure since he was 18. And at that point, he was already 32. He had been living off of dialysis, where literally he had a port in his stomach, and for 12 hours every single day, he would have to have this port connected to his stomach so that he could live. And... He actually had gotten a kidney from his mom uh, probably about five or six years prior to that. Everything was great. And then he ended up getting sick and the kidney failed. And so he had to, again, try for another kidney. And I really had no idea that we would even be a match. But again, it was. Just that feeling, that knowing, that internal voice that is saying, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. And once we found out that I was a match, it was, it almost took about 10 months of testing 
um, for them to like make sure that I'm mentally stable and that I'm emotionally stable and I'm not being coerced and I really want to do this and and on and on and on and having to go through all these tests and all of these things and seeing psychiatrists and psychologists and psych this and psych that and and you name it, I saw them. And everybody really trying to understand why I would want to, and at the time I was 23 years old, why I would want to give my cousin a kidney. I had three children. I was, you know, married. I had um, my whole life ahead of me is what everybody told me. And never once did I doubt. Never once did I question. Never once did I feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should. I really don't know. I just knew. I just knew this is exactly what I was supposed to do. And so we did. And November 16th of 1998, I gave my cousin Francisco my right kidney. And um, he... <laughs> When we found out that we were a match, he had asked me, okay, what, what is it that you want? And, and I used to love lobster. And I said, okay, you have to give me lobster at a drop of a dime. And I'm originally from Massachusetts. And so, um, I mean, for us, the seafood was just like nothing. So, um, at the time he was not living in Massachusetts, but he sent a family member, um, money to buy me I've never seen more lobster in my life to the point where I was eating lobster and it was coming out my ears, I swear, it just was. And, but it was the most, it was the most amazing feeling. And when the day of the surgery came, we were driving in the car. My aunt, his mom was driving. He was in the front seat. I was in the back seat. And my then husband was sitting next to me. And he was so nervous and he kept looking back at me like he was making sure that I was still there and haven't changed my mind. And he looked back at me and he was like, why aren't you nervous? Like, what? Why are you so calm? And what? I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so calm. I've just, it is what it is. This, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And everybody is just, you know, completely like anxious. And I don't know what it was, what said taking over me, but I was, probably the most calmest I've ever been in my life. We had the surgery and I remember coming out of a surgery and my mom and my aunt, who were sisters, were on each side of my bed and I opened my eyes and, um, you know, everybody's looking at me and waiting to see how I'm doing. And I was like, tell Franny, he really owes me lobster. And I went back to sleep. And the recovery definitely took a long time and he definitely recovered faster than I did. And so he actually was able to walk into my room after the surgery and I was sitting in the chair and I remember him coming and the nurse said to him, oh, do you want to take her hand? And he took my hand and he looked at me in my eye and he said, guess what? I was like, what? He said, I got to pee like a man for the first time in a long time. Sorry. <laughs> it's been over 20 years. 
But that was my catalyst. That was my reason. It was that of giving somebody else hope and giving somebody else the opportunity to be able to do something they have wanted to do for so long and couldn't. That's why I do what I do today. It's very different. But then again, it's not. And so he left the room and I was a forever changed person from that day forward. So four weeks after the surgery, I went to visit my cousin in California. And that's where I saw the ad for the egg donation came or came back. And at the time I was living in Massachusetts, uh, came back. And then he actually came back to Massachusetts because that is where we had the surgery to do a, just a test after the fact or whatever it was a biopsy or something to that effect. And unfortunately, after he had that procedure done, he actually ended up getting E. coli poisoning from the hospital and died six weeks after our surgery. To say that was a devastation is an understatement. Um, and to say that it still doesn't bother me 20 some odd years later right now is definitely an understatement. But one thing I can say about it is that it would not be anything that I regret doing. And even now, knowing what the outcome would be, I would do it all over again. And then fast forward to about 2006, after I had did my egg donations, I really wanted to help families because, again, I had got all these intended parents who were saying that they were looking for ethnic donors and couldn't find them. And so I figured, well, why not start an agency? And provide people with the donors that they're needing instead of having all of these people who are searching for years and years and can't find someone. So I almost started, but at the time I was trying to finish my MBA. I had four children and married and working a full-time job. So it wasn't really going to be probably the best time to start an agency. So I decided then that I wanted to work for another agency. And I looked high and low, and I actually found an agency that actually only had a surrogacy program, but they wanted to add an egg donor program. So I agreed to start their egg donor program for them. And while I was there, I learned about surrogacy, and I was just fascinated, like, oh, my God, um, I can so do this. But the problem was convincing my husband that I wanted to do that. And it actually took a year to convince him to be okay with it. And I don't want to necessarily say convince, but it took a year to really educate him on the whole process. I mean, obviously he knew I was an egg donor and he was fine with that. But when it came to now carrying a pregnancy for somebody else, he just freaked out. And he's just like, why in the world would I want to do that and put myself through that? And what if I put my life at risk? And, you know, what if, what if, what if? And I just told him that I just knew it was what I was supposed to do. Just like I just knew that I was supposed to give my kidney to Franny. I just knew that I was supposed to do this for somebody. And he finally 
agreed. And I was able to find a local family in the Atlanta area that I decided to assist and carry for. And we attempted three tries. Um, they, the first two tries, they utilized their own genetic material, but unfortunately it was not successful. And then on the third try, they ended up using donor eggs and I ended up getting pregnant with twin girls. And the pregnancy was awesome. I mean, I had horrible, horrible, horrible sickness and it wasn't just morning sickness. It was all day sickness. Um, I had never carried twins before. Um, I always had singleton pregnancies and, um, so definitely twins was definitely something, uh, that was a different experience. But nevertheless, I ended up pregnant with the twins and everything was perfect. Um, and then my water broke at 1230 at night and my husband had to take me to the hospital. That was an hour away from where we lived. And I ended up having the girls, one um, vaginally, and then within a 20, 30 minute span, I ended up having one C-section. So I had to actually deliver both ways. Unfortunately, when baby A came out, baby B flipped and they couldn't find baby B's fl- the heartbeat. So um, they rushed me into surgery and I had to have a, a C-section. And that was the first time I ever had a C-section. I never had one with my own children. So everything was fine. I mean, it obviously took a while to recover and, you know, still everything was was good. And then I got home and then I started getting medical bills and I would forward them to the tenant parents and and crickets, like I wouldn't hear from them. And I kept forwarding all these medical bills and crickets and I wouldn't hear from them. And it went on and on and on for months to the point where eventually I actually ended up having to sue my first set of intended parents to pay the medical bills that were not paid after my delivery. And it was not a significant amount of medical bills because at the time, my insurance damn near covered everything. So it was a couple thousand dollars um, that was due. And mind you, when I had the girls, um, as I mentioned, I had twin girls. And when I had them, unbeknownst to me, the intended parents never finished the parental order. and which meant that once we got to the hospital and these babies were born, as far as the hospital was concerned, they were my babies. And when it was time to put on the bracelet, they put it on me. And when the intended parents wanted to go see their children, they had to actually call down to my room and get my permission for them to go see their babies because they delayed getting their paperwork done. I had no idea all of this was happening because when the paperwork was submitted to me by the attorney, I sent everything and that was that. And I just assumed that everything was done. Well, clearly it wasn't. And when I delivered the girls, they were, um, I was already 34 weeks pregnant. Um, and with twins, that's, I guess, considered a full term because when we went to the doctors that Wednesday prior to my water breaking on Friday, he told the intended parents, she's considered full term. She's two centimeters dilated, both of the baby's heads down. And if she goes into labor, I'm not going to stop it. You need to be prepared. And the 
Clearly, the antenna parents were not. Anyway, I ended up suing them. I ended up recovering the medical cost, and that was that. And then I got a phone call from a friend who told me that there was a family in the um, area that are looking for a gestational carrier and that I would be uh, amazing for them and I needed to talk to her. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't think my husband's going to allow me to do that. But she was like, look, just talk to them. That's all you have to do. So we ended up getting on the phone and talking. And what we thought was supposed to be like a 15-minute conversation ended up being a couple of hours. And I ended up finding out that they actually had gotten pregnant and ended up having a stillborn at eight and a half months pregnant. And I asked her what the baby's name was, and she told me. Well, her son's name happened to be my son's name, and it's not a common John or Bob name. And at that point, I just knew that, again, this was definitely something that God wanted me to do. And I was like, okay, well, I take it you want me to do this, God, but you're going to have to get my husband on board because I don't think he's going to go for this again. Oh, and did I also mention through my first surrogacy journey after I had one vaginal and one C-section, I ended up getting Bell's palsy where a portion of my face went paralyzed for 30 days. So yeah, he definitely wasn't on board with me doing it again. But it was definitely something I brought to prayer for sure. And I, I pretty much was like, I want to do this again. Here's the family. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just asked him, I was like, well, let's just meet them. If you don't like them, if you're not okay with it, fine. Well, we met at a a restaurant and I can tell you the whole time we were on our way, I was praying that God would soften his heart and that if this was really supposed to be what it's supposed to be, then he would make this happen. And he did. After we left, my husband was like, all right, fine. I, I, I can see why you want to help this family. And I did. And I ended up, again, having to do three different journeys with them. They did use their own genetic material. And, and on the third try, um, we transferred two embryos. Actually, both took. But then one stopped developing and then went on to have a successful little boy. And even to this day, um, we're actually... Um, the intended mom and I are still friends. We still talk to each other. We still text each other. We still have gone out to lunch with one another. Um, she has never hidden the fact of about who I was to her son. To him, I'm Auntie L. And one time, uh, she did actually have, uh, they should, should I say they ended up having another son through another gestational carrier. Um, and he had a birthday party and I was able to go to the birthday party. And when I got there, the little boy that I carried for already obviously knew who I was. I walked in and he took me by the hand and he brought me to all of his little friends and introducing me as to Auntie L. Well, I didn't know at the time, but all of his friends actually knew that Auntie L was his sorrow mom. And he then took me to his room to show me um, when he was first born. I had bought him 
um, a couple of things and just a couple of things that had things that I wanted to say to him. And it was still in his room all these years later. And it just, it just completely touched my heart and just made it all the more worthwhile. And so I, for sure, after this second journey was like, yep, I'm done. Definitely done. And then my third couple, obviously I wasn't done. My third couple then were uh, clients that, well, they were, they were, they never actually turned into clients, but they were someone that came over to the office um, and they were in need of a gestational carrier. And we just instantly clicked. It was just like, we just instantly clicked and I just like fell in love with them. And they asked me to be their surrogate and I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen. I have this guy, his name is Anthony and he would probably kill me. So probably not. Um, and they were like, well, we're just going to keep believing. We just know that you're going to be a surrogate. So we're just going to keep praying about it. And I'm like, okay, you're going to be waiting a long time because I'm telling you, he's not going to be okay with it. But I went, I asked, he said, no, like he, I didn't even get it out of my mouth before he was like, absolutely not. And so I let it go. And then I would say probably six months later, um, they called me again and they were like, can you just bother try again to see maybe if he changed his mind? And I'm like, oh God, I don't know if he's going to change his mind. I really think this man is dead set against um, me doing it because on the second time around, um, I ended up getting reoccurring UTIs for a whole year and nobody knew why. So with the first experience of having to um, sue my intended parents and then getting Bell's palsy. And then the second experience, which was great. The pregnancy was great. Delivery was great. Um, but having these reoccurring UTIs for a year. Um, and if you don't know what UTIs are, they're urinary tract infections. Um, he was just like, that's enough. You've put your body through enough. You know, we're not, you're not doing this anymore. So, but again, six months later, I kind of just was like, okay, I'm going to ask him. So, I went home and I sat down next to him and I was like, babe, it's like, oh God, what do you want? And again, I was like, it's just something I know I'm supposed to do. I don't know why. I don't know how. I just know I'm supposed to do this. And he looked at me and he just took a deep breath and he was like, I don't know what is with you. I don't know why you want to put yourself through this stuff, but if it's really what you want to do, then fine. So when he said fine, I literally got up and didn't give him an opportunity to change his mind. I ran into the house and went and called the intended parents. And I told them, it was like, you better hurry up and let's get this going because I don't want to give him an opportunity to change his mind. And he didn't. He never changed his mind. He is the most supportive person in the entire world. And Again, on the first try, we transferred an embryo. Um, it was successful. And I ended up having a little girl full term, no problems. But after I had her, I ended up having uh, issues where I couldn't stop bleeding. And it would mint on for months and months and months. And I just could not stop bleeding. And so my doctor decided that they wanted to do an endometrial ablation where they burned your uterine lining to, to stop, help stop the bleeding and see if that would work. 
And that happened in November. And I finally stopped in, I believe it was February. And so we thought for sure, this is great. It finally worked. It just took a little while. And so for a couple of months, I thought everything was wonderful. Well, in June, I was at the office working and I just got in so much pain that it literally like knocked me down to my knees. I called my doctor, went in and they were like, okay, so it looks like the um, bleed because it has nowhere to go is actually filling up into your uterus. So let's monitor it for a little bit and see if it's a fluke or whatever and kind of go from there. Well, that was in June. By July, it came back with a vengeance and to the point where I couldn't get up. I couldn't walk. I damn near couldn't even breathe. And again, I went to the doctor and that was on a Thursday. And she's like, you are, I'm scheduling you for emergency hysterectomy. Um, and you have to have it done ASAP. Now, mind you, at that point, I already have my agency. I'm already working. I have and I'm like, um, what do you mean? Like, I, I, I have to prepare. I can't just, you know, go on leave um, in, in less than a week. And she's like, you don't have a choice. So I ended up having my hysterectomy that following Wednesday. And definitely took me by surprise, for sure. Um, and as crazy as this sounds, and I know it sounds crazy even coming out of my mouth, but I actually mourned my uterus. And I know, again, it sounds crazy, but I mourned what had been of helping all of these families and being able to bless, you know, so many people with it. And then I even thought like, well, I wasn't going to do any more surrogacy pregnancies, but what if my daughter needed to have, you know, what if my daughter one day needed to have um, a gestational carrier. I could have carried for her. I would have known what to do. And it was kind of like God came to me in my head and was like, okay, you've, uh, you've done enough. Um, and we, um, I'm going to ensure that you're never going to do it again because I'm not bringing anybody else to you in that capacity for you to carry anymore, but you will be carrying for me in a different capacity. And so when I kind of got that in my spirit, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to be fine. And I think I'm going to um, be able to serve other people in definitely a different path. And that's really what Family Inceptions and Surrogacy Roadmap, uh, the two programs that I have created have been for me. And it, I started Family Inceptions back in 2008 when the state of Georgia actually in 2007 wanted to pass a personhood bill. And um, a lot of the clinics actually had got together and hired a lobbyist to stop them from passing this personhood bill. And I wanted to start the agency then, but the lobbyist actually was the one who told me that I should wait because... Clearly, if this was passed, you know, fertility care in the state of Georgia would completely be different than what was known at that point. 
So I waited. And then in 2008, I reached back out to him and he told me that it wasn't going to pass and go ahead and start the agency. And I did. And funny enough, it also was really my first set of intended parents that really were like, you definitely should do this. There isn't anything in the area. And if somebody wanted to find a local candidate, it's so difficult because all of the agencies that were out there were nowhere near the South. So so I started the agency in 2008 and have definitely been progressing, obviously, ever since. And it's just been amazing the families that we get to help and the surrogates that we get to work with and the egg donors that we get to work with. And I feel like it is a complete blessing that they have chose me to allow me to take this journey with them and to allow me to be a part of this child's legacy. This child that is coming into this world may never know me, may never know who I am, but that's totally irrelevant. What makes it so amazing is that regardless of whether they know me or whether they don't know me or whatever the case might be, um, that God saw fit that I could have a little piece of, of that child's legacy and, and be able to make a significant impact on other people's lives. And it's just the most amazing thing. And so with Family Inceptions, being a full service surrogacy and egg donation agency, we get to work with the carriers and work with the egg donors and work with the intended parents and really help put everybody together. But we also recognize that not everybody can afford to work with an agency. And that is where Surrogacy Roadmap comes in. And Surrogacy Roadmap is an online course um, that will literally give families a step-by-step instruction on what to do and how to do it if they can't utilize an agency or if they choose not to or if they're going through a compassionate and altruistic surrogacy pregnancy if they have a family member or a friend or whatever the case might be. And But to be able to give them a guide so that they know how to do it properly so that at the end of the day, they can say, okay, we were able to do this successfully and we're able to bring our baby home and with as minimal issues as possible. So I know that this has gone on and I've kind of (laughs) like gave you a 20 year rundown of my life, but I felt that it was important for me to kind of share who I was and to give you an insight, a little bit of, of my life and my story so that when I'm kind of sharing and discussing things and talking to you guys about certain things or educating you about certain things, it's definitely because I'm coming from an experienced candidate with or gestational carrier who's had issues with my own journeys. And then as an agency owner, and I'm not even going to go into the issues that we've experienced through the agency and it's just the lay of the land. It is what it is. And, but also be able to share the gift that a gestational carrier or an egg donor provides. It's, there's no words. It's just, there's no words that can really explain that gift. But at the same time, on the parent side, you know, being able to have that hope and that, that desire 
that you're holding on to so hard for wanting to have a child and this is all you want and this is all you've been praying for, you know, wanted to definitely say, just keep hoping and just keep praying and just keep believing. Because I know for sure that there's been things in my life that I've definitely have just hoped and prayed and believed. And like I said, and I get these little voices in my head that, yes, it actually is going to happen. It is possible. I just have to keep having faith. I just keep believing. And, you know, I, I just know that the hand of God is on my life. And I also believe that every family that I get to assist, regardless of their religious beliefs or whether they don't believe at all or whether they're black or white or green or blue or yellow, gay, straight, it's irrelevant. I know that it's the families that God has brought to me and these are the people that he wants me to serve wholeheartedly. And that's what I do. So I am signing off because I've been at this for a long time, but I just wanted to really thank all of you, all of you listeners from the bottom of my heart um, and allowing me to share and allowing me to kind of share my journey and where I am and what I've kind of walked through this last 20 years of my trajectory of, of being where I am today. So I just thank you so much and I appreciate all of you. Remember, love has no limits, neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.